Welcome to Changing the Perception of Blindness, One Conversation at a Time, where we aim to break down barriers, demystify blindness, and promote real and lasting change. Join host David Steinmetz as he connects us with professionals who are making a positive impact in the community. These leaders help empower individuals who are blind or have other disabilities to live a full and inclusive life. Let's lean in as David kicks off today's conversation. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Changing the Perception of Blindness, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, David Steinmetz. And I've said over and over again on this show that we often form our perception of view of the world on a lot of the things, our past experience, society or social norms, public policy, things that, you know, try and make everything good for everybody. But I think the biggest and influence on our perception nowadays is our family and how we grew up in in our home, what our parents taught us, those family values, etc. And when you are brought up in, in a environment where you know everybody is typically looks like you, you associate, um, or maybe um, you have that mixture of culture and so forth. And when something new like a disability is introduced to that culture, introduced into those norms, how do you deal with that, that change? A lot of times that's very difficult, whether it's from a family perspective, individual, or from a corporation. And, and we talk on this show all the time about how organizations can change their perspective and with diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, as well as interacting with and getting to know people in your community and interacting with people who are blind or people with disabilities. And so my show, Changing Perception of Blindness, or CPB, is really focused on bringing awareness to business leaders, to the community, and to the general public about blindness. I think the more that you know, the more you can be familiar, the more chances you have an opportunity to gain knowledge is better for everybody, as well as it will break those those myths about blindness. We hear all the time in the blindness community, people who are sighted that don't believe that they would be able to ever survive uh, if they lost their vision. And and I thought that way at one point in my life too, is how how am I going to do this? And you learn that it's not as scary as you think it is, right? Whenever we're faced with change, we always kind of take a very slow approach to it because we don't know what's on the other side. So today, um, I'm really excited because we're going to have a conversation um, with my brothers, Michael, Jeffrey, and Gregory Steinmetz. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe some of those family values and changes and things that we had to overcome um, as brothers, as a family. And then what does that bring each one of us to our daily lives now when we look at disability, maybe in the workplace or disability in the community? And what what does that look like and, and so forth? So I'm really excited. Let's get the conversation rolling. I'm going to introduce the oldest. Of the four, uh, Mike, if you get kind of just 
give a little background about yourself, uh, where you work, and then we'll pass it down down the line. Sure. Good morning, David. Uh, I'm Mike Steinmetz. I live in uh, Sherman Oaks, California. I'm born and raised here in Los Angeles. I uh, am the oldest of the four of us. Uh, I work for a company called Teladoc Health. As we talk a little further, I think it's really important that, as David said, what, what I've learned in our family, I'm able to bring to my, my employer and my job and, um, and stand up for uh, inclusion and equity. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. You're up. Hey, I'm Jeff. Yep, Jeff Steinmetz. I live in Chatsworth, California. I am a director of IT for a nationwide uh, merchant, uh, musical instrument retailer. And um, I think with the uh, family you know, values and uh, changes that we've had to deal with, I, I, I've got a new appreciation for the you know, vision impaired. Helps me, I think, at least consider some of that in the workplace. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Greg, you're up. Hey, David. So I'm Greg Steinmetz. I'm the youngest of the four boys. Uh, I also live in Sherman Oaks, California. Um, I work at Guide Dogs of America in Los Angeles as a senior manager of admissions and graduate services. And uh, I am also blind am uh, working and living with my vision loss. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. And it's kind of funny as I was thinking about this show today and how we're going to kind of formulate this conversation. And I, I kind of look back at how, you know, we grew up as, as kids and, you know, playing tackle football in the front yard. And it seemed like it was the two oldest against the two youngest and everything, which it uh, doesn't always seem to be fair when you uh, look at the, the size difference of um, Mike compared to me, um, being as tall as he is. But it was always funny, as well as, you know, um, how we were brought up to in the community and how we think about things. And then one day I got this diagnosis after sitting in the doctor's chair for basically eight hours with instruments that look like they should belong in Dr. Frankenstein's laboratory <laughs> and how that, that one day kind of really changed, you know, our perspective. And so from there, basically the entire family was uh, tested and evaluated. And Greg, as you mentioned, um, you also are living with a retinitis pigmentosa. <clears throat> Can you guys, uh, anybody, want to share maybe a little bit about that first initial conversation about blindness? And I'd love to hear from both Greg and Mike and Jeff from kind of that opposite perception. Sure. I mean, for me, I remember it was more than probably at least 35 years ago. I was a teenager and remember that uh, David had been diagnosed first and really didn't understand what, what all this meant. I don't know, it was 15, 16, maybe somewhere around there that, you know, that, that diagnosis didn't really register, um, you know, that, uh, I could be blind at some point. And, um, you know, I remember going to UCLA and doing all those tests and, um, 
you know, finding out that, that I had RP as well. And, um, you know, I think it kind of changed some of the trajectory and how I looked at stuff and took a long time to admit and accept what that diagnosis meant as, as I got older and some of the significant changes in my vision that led to, you know, having to stop driving at 20 years old, being a father with vision loss, having to change jobs and, um, you know, going through the denial that, you know, that's not me and avoiding using a white cane. I mean, all the kind of standard um, things that, that people kind of go through with the transition of vision loss. So it was, it was kind of a challenge for me to get to a level where, you know, I could live with, uh, you know, the day-to-day of, of vision loss. Thanks for sharing yeah, that. I, I think from my perspective, you know, like Greg said, it was 30 something years ago. Um, and there wasn't a lot of information around, around uh, RP and what it meant. I don't think that at the initial the time when David was first diagnosed that I really took it seriously. That I that it the, the impact of what that would mean to David and Greg and the rest of the family really never registered with me. I think part of that is also me being a different time in my life, sort of being older and perhaps uh, moving starting my adult life. Uh, I wasn't as involved then with the younger brothers as I am even today. Yeah, thanks, Frank. Mm-hmm. Jeff, anything you want to add? Or um, I think similar to, to Mike, I mean, I, I recall, you know, that time of a lot of some concern. I, you know, Dave, I, I recall, I think there was a, an automobile uh, situation that, you know, that initiated this and uh, all of us, you know, going to eventually get tested not really sure, you know, what was going on or, you know, what it all meant. Like Mike said, you know, I recall uh, going through the testing and the DNA, you know, the genetic testing, et cetera. And ultimately, you know, for me, I, you know, I was deemed diagnosed as a carrier of the gene, but didn't have the, you know, active, I guess, you know, uh, RP. And I, I guess, you know, Thinking back, maybe at that time, didn't really realize how it had affected me or or any of us, mm-hmm. you know. And like Mike said, you know, kind of living my life at that time, and you know, over over time, obviously, have seen the impacts of that and changes to to you guys and our family, and you know, now even as a, <coughs> a grand, you know, with my kids, right, and I now have grandkids, right, and I. And are they susceptible, right, to the same, you know, RP uh, is yes. something that still impacts and affects me and future generations. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you guys sharing that because it, I agree with all of you. What I think we found is that what we didn't know is what we didn't know until we had, you know, changes in in my vision, did I realized there was more to this hereditary degenerative retinal disease. And so as I continue to progress through this process and, and journey, it's you know trying to think ahead of that next step. And again, oftentimes we're just kind of forced into things when if we don't take that proactive approach. For me, I think I took the more forceful way instead of being proactive. You know, if it happens to me, it happens to me kind of thing. But 
interesting, Greg, you talked about some of the things that a lot of people who are blind go through and the adjustment and, and so forth. And I think it's important that when we're going through these things that we find people to 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 talk about it, right? Because it's either a small group. Uh, we didn't I didn't know anybody who was blind until you get into the blindness field, until you become blind or you, know, you buy a new car and all of a sudden everybody has the same car as you. Um, so it seems a little ironic in terms of how the blindness kind of occurred. Um, when we look at things from, from a perspective and from maybe like a business perspective, how how has knowing what blindness is and interpret what do you guys think about how has it impacted you guys and your job? Well, for me, back back when we started out and, and uh, were diagnosed, you know, there wasn't the internet. We couldn't do research easily, couldn't connect with other people or learn about ways to do things different, technologies and so on. So for me, I started off working my initial career in the funeral services industry. I didn't have any technology or even aware of anything that could help me do my job better or easier. You know, I left my job and went through the California Department of Rehab to get training and go back to school and learn that, you know, there are ways to adjust um, your environment to um, make your job easier. And um, that included orientation mobility training. Um, I think peer counseling helped because um, although our family are great resources, sometimes it's easier to be able to share with um, someone else that's either going through or been through similar. And then the technology and career counseling through Department of Rehab were really important to get back out and have a good career in a, in a well-paying position in a different industry, but still in, in a management role. Um, and so learning you know, how to do those things was really important. I was resistant at first, but um, realized that um, you know, doing it would, would benefit me and my future. So I think getting out, you know, getting training, and now obviously the technology is so much better than it was 20, 20, 25 years ago with the advent, you know, wire or wearable technologies and uh, AI and so forth. So having those technologies really made my current job so much more uh, doable. And it's nice to have an organization and an employer that's supportive of that, taking and assisting proactively to make sure that I had the tools to be able to do the the job that I need to do. Greg said something about, about support. And I was just thinking as we were as we were talking that this might be the first time the four of us have ever sat down and talked about this subject. All four of us. I mean I know I've had conversations with each of you separately, mm-hmm. but I don't think as the four of us we've ever really talked about how this impacts us. I agree. And I thought about that when we uh, when I invited you guys to come on and have this conversation is we've really don't discuss it, um, at least not openly in a group. Like you said, individually for sure. And it's just, it, I hope that we can continue to do that. But having a, a conversation or hearing from Greg or from me or from you, Mike and Jeff, 
your perspective or perception of what things were, how things are, and what we're doing to advocate and make change, I think is really going to be beneficial to us as well as to the community, because that's really what we want to make the bigger impact on. So your question, I think, David, was sort of how does how does our life experience living living with um, with visually impaired folks in our family affect our our job? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'll touch on that real quick. That I, the company that I work for, Telehealth, Health, we provide services to to the general population, and that we have a website, we have an application. All of that is really we're really striving to make all of that accessible to people with uh, visual impairment. And uh, it's I've gotten involved with a, um, a subgroup that focuses on both our our own internal tools and products, as well as uh, just supporting colleagues who who have various disabilities, including vision. And uh, it's really, really refreshing and a positive experience to to see that there are people out there that are that are taking into account uh, the issues that that you and Greg face in terms of access and and having uh, the ability to to use your your assistive technology in a way that that makes sense. And, and just as an aside, one of the things that I think is was so funny when I talked to the developers in our organization and they talk about that they are developing for screen readers. And I say, have you ever tested it? Like my brothers use their screen readers, which is like at a five point, a five times speed of talking and heard how it sounds in real life. And they're, they're sort of dumbfounded. They, they just test everything at normal rate. And my experience listening to you guys is that that's just not, that's not real life. And so mm-hmm. that's been something very interesting to me. Yeah. There's a lot of organizations, right. That are, really focusing on that inclusion, accessibility, and so forth, and making sure digital accessibility is for all. They don't do a lot of testing or they don't get direct user feedback from from that testing. And great to hear that the Teladoc is, has that initiative. They have the teams that are working on making sure it's inclusive for everybody. And I think it's important to also talk not just the external, right, but internal when an organization mm-hmm. that makes that commitment to hire somebody uh, with a disability that you're bringing in teams to make sure that it is actually doing what you hope it to do so that you can bring on the, the labor force that you want to tap into of talented people and make sure that they can do their job. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say that, you know, especially for, you know, it's good that, businesses and corporations are making their applications and websites accessible. I think, um, like you said, David, I think that internally, though, that, you know, we have to make sure that that information is accessible as well. So that, um, you know, if you're at a, a meeting or a webinar, that there are ways to make sure that the information is accessible, whether it's a PowerPoint or webinar presentation or, you know, video that it's has a, includes a description because, you know, that can limit interaction or, or information to us as people who are blind or visually impaired. Rick, you need to slide over a little bit to your left. There you go. Oh, perfect, Greg. 
Thanks. Greg, you mentioned something that a couple of minutes ago about when you um, were experiencing more vision loss, you changed jobs or you went, you left the general business. Was that a reason? Is there a reason for that? Were you feeling that you couldn't do the job because you didn't have the technology or training? What, what made you leave that job? I think some of it was that some of it was my own kind of perception and, and understanding of, you know, what the job required of transportation and, you know, being out in the public. And, and, um, so the physical part of the job, you know, I just couldn't see doing even with the level of vision that I had at the time, um, obviously I wasn't driving. So, that, that was one hurdle, but, um, you know, being able to read documents and contracts and sig- you know, getting signatures and, and then just dealing with, you know, the day-to-day uh, aspects of that type of work. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was one of the, you know, the real kind of things was, was part of it was knowing, you know, what I would need to do and knowing what maybe some of my limitations would be without really knowing what was possible because of training. So that was what I think one of the uh, bigger reasons that I, I changed careers and went back to school and, and went for training through your local organizations like the Braille Institute or the now, you know, it's not uh, no longer around, but the center for partially sighted and realizing that there were um, resources available to make those jobs and tasks easier and doable. And so um, that was kind of the reason for, for changing careers. Yeah. And I think that's exactly, you know, the heart of this show is not knowing, right? Is not knowing what blindness is, not knowing what to expect tomorrow for those living with, you know, an RP where your vision is decreasing on a day-to-day basis to employers who are trying to hire somebody that says, well, they're blind, how are they going to read this contract or how are they going to access that that information? And that's, I think, is the biggest hurdle, stumbling block from one, the disability community, and two, from from the employer's perspective. And through this show, through advocacy, the work that you guys do, we hope to break down those barriers. Jeff, what do you think about this experience? You mentioned that you're talking about um, you know, you being a carrier, um, your kids and your grandkids and, and future generation, potential blindness in the family. What does that, how does that make you or impact you in terms of your advocacy or the work that you do in supporting blindness community, as well as just, you know, your perception, right? Greg said that he didn't think he could do the job that he's doing. Where do you see for, for you or your family what that what does blindness look like to you? Well, I, I think first and foremost, as you know, as a carrier, right of uh, of the gene and potentially passing that on to you know my kids or you know grandkids and so on and so forth, it weighs on me, right? Um, you know, as I, I think I think back to some of our experience, right, and where did this come from, and who you know who was the person that gave this to us, right, type of thing. And ultimately, you know, is there guilt around that, right? But, um, 
Doesn't always you know, and, and I, you know, I pray uh, or, you know, hope that none of, you know, my family or, you know, grandkids or whatever are affected by that down the line. Quite frankly, I've, I've thought about like, you know, do I even, how do I help my grandkids today potentially prepare for something like that if it were to come to be, right? And whether it's, you know, trying to help teach them Braille or those types of things early on, just as a, you know, just exposure to that. But looking at, from my, you know, my perception and my experience with my relationship with it, with both you and Greg, I mean, I think you guys have overcome so much, right? And I admire the jobs that you guys do in both advocating for for blindness or people who are visually impaired, as well as your um, your places in the workplace and all the accomplishments that you guys have done there. I mean, I think it's a great example of your you know, vision loss or impairment not holding you back. I remember, you know, for a long while, yeah, I mean, I think, Greg, you mentioned it about denial and, you know, anger and this and that. And I think acceptance and you guys have done a lot of lot of work to overcome and participate in fully, right? So, David, I think the video of you going out skiing, you know, not too long ago and mm-hmm. was, was amazing and, and inspirational. And, you know, I think where I'm at, you know, from a professional career and where I'm at in life, I I think about with the time that I have left, what have I done or what can I do to help maybe make things uh, easier in the workplace or, you know, careers for those who may be visually visually impaired or other impairments, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's, um, you know, always that tough question is again, you know, being proactive versus reactive and knowing that you can still live a full, inclusive life, do, you know, 99% of things that you want to do. We always come up with these big grand plans that, oh, I'm going to do X, Y, Z because of something else. But if you really wouldn't have done that, then what's the difference, right? And you know, for example, I thought, well, how am I going to take my kids camping? So, I mean, and then turn around and go, well, you know, I don't really take my kids camping anyway. So if I do, we can take the kids camping in the, you know, as an entire family or friends or someone camping, <laughs> whatever it is. But we think about all the things we can't do when we're faced with these challenges. And are those really realistic issues? I think you and Greg are the first blind people that I've known. I think when we were growing up, Greg had a friend who was who was blind, but you guys are the sort of the example for me in terms of how people <laughs> with a visual impairment can take on take on life, can take on the world. I find it just, I guess, mind blowing is the word when I when I see pretty much on a day to day basis what. Greg is able to do and live independently. And, and I don't mean to be deprecating at all, Greg, but it's amazing to, to see you navigate your world and do so successfully and confidently. And David, same, same to you. you know, both of you have, done, have accomplished so much. And the thing that it's, you know, there's a little bit of guilt on my part that, that I'm not affected, that I'm not a carrier, that I'm not affected by this, this, 
condition. And so uh, there's that's always in the back of my head nagging at me a little bit. I never knew that that <clears throat> there was some some of that guilt associated with it. I guess we can say for me as a blind brother, sorry, I keep trying to hold back my cough and make me talk funny, is the fact that we say why me a lot of times, right? Didn't think about that from the other perspective of why not me or or whatever else. So thanks for sharing that, Mike. Sure. Interesting to, to know these things. It's, it's important to share them. It also gives insight to you know, the world of blindness and that what we think things are aren't really that. And uh, it's until we embrace it, until we say from an employer's perspective, I'm going to take this initiative. I'm going to do, you know, get the buy-in all the way down the chain, make sure supervisors and managers and so forth are all, all on board to this vision of hiring people who are blind and building systems to ensure that the information is accessible, technology is there, you know, reasonable accommodations are sort of minimal that and a lot of times free for, for the, some of the assistive technology that there shouldn't be a reason why. But I think in this conversation, we're hearing exactly why is we don't know. First person, you know, that we were ever introduced to who is blind is, is ourselves. And I see you know, my, my kids go out into the world. Um, I think they're more compassionate. They see things and, you know, if they do see somebody who's blind and may be, you know, heading into danger, whatever else, or capable of going up and talking comfortably to somebody who is blind and having that conversation to make sure, one, that person's safe, and two, to be good citizens and, and so forth. And I, have you, um, you guys ever felt how to make those connections or, you know, that growth in the, in the blindness community? Are there things that you do maybe to, to support the blindness community? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, I actually had that similar experience that you just described at the mall a couple of weeks ago. We were, my wife and I were just walking through the mall and there was a, a person with a white cane and it appeared to me that the person uh, perhaps was disoriented or lost as to where they were. Mm-hmm. And I stopped for just a moment just to check in with them and, and ask them if they need any assistance. Are they, are they okay? And they told me they were. And so I was able to, to walk on, but I don't think that I would have had that awareness had not been around, around you guys before. As far as my support, I think I've told the story a lot of times, but David and Greg, you guys are both guide dog users. And we were at graduation one day when you got your, one of your dogs. And my wife said we should do something to um, give back for the wonderful things that these dogs do for you guys. I thought I was going to go donate some money. And instead, she went and signed us up, signed me up, she'll say, to be a puppy raiser for Guide Dogs of America. And we've um, we've raised four puppies to this point, and it's allowed me to meet a lot of great individuals with a similar um, purpose of, of helping others. I've also met a lot of other people who are recipients of the dogs and has uh, really broadened my horizons in that respect. I mean, for me... You know, I'm fortunate I get paid to help others who are blind or visually impaired. So I get to get out to a lot of different you know, conventions for the national consumer groups and 
local organizations, um, webinars and presentations, and kind of share information about guide dog mobility, mobility in general, my experience with technology and, and training. So I have found that, you know, just like vision loss is a spectrum, so are everyone's experiences, you know, background and knowledge. So, you know, for me, it's, it's rewarding to be able to, you know, share with others, you know, that there are ways to accomplish what you want to accomplish. Certainly times are more challenging than others. And, but, you know, if, if it's something that's important, you'll find a way to do it. And, um, that living with vision loss or imagine most other disabilities can, can be hard, but it, you know, it's, becomes part of your day-to-day and not really much that you really have to think about. You know, I find most people are, are um, you know, open to that and um, willing to assist and, you know, but don't know what, what to ask or, you know, how to assist. So, you know, for me, it's always, hey, it's nothing wrong with saying, you know, do you need assistance or how may I help you? Opening the idea of your show is what are perceptions, right? So a lot of people have, don't know about vision loss or blindness, don't know what the challenges are, how they can help. And I think sometimes comes from the individual with, with the vision loss, what to know what they need and, and how to ask for and advocate um, and be open to assistance. And, it's just don't uh, grab your dog's leash. <laughs> right, or, or me. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. How many times you get steered into, here you go this way and, and try and steer you. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Greg, you said that that sometimes it's difficult, but it's di- life is difficult for everybody at, at times, and sure. it's how we manage those those times. And it's important to to make sure that we're focused on the end game and not right where I'm at. Making sure that you find that alternate way versus giving something up, whether it's disability related or just life 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 in general. It is hard. For sure. David, I was going to ask you, I know you advocate for disabled, visually impaired in terms of being able to, in the workplace, find employment, right? And I know AIB does a lot to help support that and employ those. What do you find is like the biggest challenges for, and maybe opportunities for uh, the visually impaired being able to find employment more readily. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Um, I think the biggest barrier for employment for for people who are blind, people with disabilities, is the perception. Uh, Digital accessibility is a barrier, as well as transportation and, and things like that. But I think it's the focus comes into is, how is somebody who is blind gonna do the job? And if you can't get over that um, thought, you can't get beyond the disability, then we'll continue to see, you know, 70% unemployment among people who are blind and vision impaired people with disabilities. And there are programs now, as Greg mentioned, through vocation rehabilitation and others that are training people with disabilities to be successful in the workplace. But we find that, you know, it's two years after you go through this program is about the average before finding a job. I think that comes really from that fact that 
I've never had an experience or encounter with someone who is blind. I don't have the vision to see how somebody who is blind can do the job. And as Greg mentioned, you know, the technology that's there to do just about everything else, but it's not (laughs) always there for for everything. And, but it is getting better and the more we advocate for it, I think the bigger impact we will have. Because I know, you know, you guys are out there doing that as well, Jeff, you support with, with Guide Dogs of America, with Greg and convention and conferences. You traveled recently to the Texas for a conference. And yeah. I think often interesting to see is that we, I think the disability community kind of mirrors general population, obviously, but right, you have people who are confident, people, you know, cane users in their orientation and mobility, in their technology skills. And then you find those that are always seeking assistance and, and so forth, or are less confident in their indep- in their orientation mobility need need more kind of guidance and so forth. And I think sometimes that breaks down into why um, there's unemployment as well. Is that you know, we need to make sure that if you're gonna apply for a job in times that I did after graduating college, I had a great resume. You get in the door and then there's this, oh, this person's blind. I'm, you know, we're done with this interview. And so you got to make sure that, that skills and, and job descriptions match your skills and things that you're applying for also don't impact um, that unemployment. Yeah, I mean, I you, you mentioned the conference. I did have an opportunity to go with Greg to, I think, you know, to Houston, uh, I think earlier this year and for a, a national conference for the for the blind. And it was very, I'll say, eye-opening. Um, like you said, to see me, you talked about my, you know, our experience and interaction with people who are visually impaired, right? And And typically it was, Either you know, or it's you and Greg, or maybe guide dogs, you know, uh, guide dogs community. But <clears throat> this, there was hundreds and if not thousands of of people, right, individuals who come to this uh, conference for the blind and have uh, classes and seminars and things like that. And you know, there's a show there that that had you know different booths of technology and different offerings and services. And like you said, saw. So, so many people at different stages of their, I guess, you know, in their, in their journey. Right. And like you said, some that were, you know, maybe newly experiencing, uh, you know, vision loss, et cetera. And it, it was amazing to me to see how people, you know, how those individuals, right. Um, maneuver through the, through the, or, you know, through the conference and some had more confidence, like, you know, than others. And, but yeah, it's, it's definitely eye-opening to me and my experience from that and, and the services and technology that's out there and how that's assisting that have been afflicted, you know, with vision loss mm-hmm. or have vision loss. I touched on it a moment ago, but it's, it's always amazing to me to see how little the general public knows how to deal with people with mm-hmm. vision loss and blindness. I, I, you know, even our own family members still say to David and Greg, it's over there or come over here. 
And uh, there just needs to be more, so much more education on how to help people, how, just how to interact with people. Forget about helping them, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I think people are afraid, right? I, I know, and like in our family, we're, we don't say the word blind. We'll say, oh, you can't see well or something else to avoid the blindness and saying the word. And that's part of who I am. And so it's not something that should be mm-hmm. scared to talk about or uh, say the word. So absolutely, I think education early on is so important. So we're, we're butting up on our time here today. And so I want to give everybody an opportunity to kind of, again, talk about your organization if you want, or any last closing moments, uh, any words that you guys want to give? I'll just say, uh, Dave, thanks for setting this up and, and coming up with this particular uh, episode. I, I really uh, you know, enjoyed uh, sitting down with you all and, and talking through this. Like you said, Mike, we haven't really ever done this before. So it's always good to do, you know, in public, you know, across, uh, you know, the entire internet. But uh, yeah, th- thanks for setting it up, Dave. We're going to go go big. Yeah, exactly. And, and nobody cried. And, and we're, we're all being much too nice to each other. Um, exactly, exactly. I'm not here representing my organization today, but I will right. say that uh, Teladoc Health is a great place to work. I would encourage that if you're looking for employment, check out the website and see if there's any uh, careers that suit you. Also make a plug that uh, Guide Dogs of America here in Los Angeles, Southern California is looking for puppy raisers. So I will put that plug out there too. And David, again, like Jeff just said, thanks for, for putting this together. It was really a lot of fun to participate and share with everyone. I'll go ahead and, and kind of wrap up here. And again, thank you guys. Thanks for sharing you know, some personal things and some insights into your perspectives from the journey through the blindness. I apologize for, again, for my voice and shakiness and, and conversation as I continue to, to heal here. And I'd like to thank Arizona Industries for the Blind an enterprise nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering people who are blind or visually impaired to achieve their version of their version of the American dream by creating and sustaining employment. So really great for them to sponsor my show again. And I hope that we have proven that with the right training, the right technology and the right attitude, people who are blind can be successful in the workplace. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Changing the Perception of Blindness, one conversation at a time with your host, David Steinmetz. Be sure to subscribe to Changing the Perception of Blindness, one conversation at a time on your favorite podcast platform and tune in live on Phoenix Business Radio X every third Friday at 9 a.m. We hope you feel inspired by today's conversation and maybe we've even sparked a new idea or opportunity.